Father, I thank you for the privilege it is to pastor a church where we don't put on the masks. Some of us are having tough days. Some of us are, have had a rough week. But Father, we're here now. We are here to hear from you. We are here to be comforted and encouraged by our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, that's what the church is all about. I think of what your servant David wrote as he began the Psalms. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And he will be like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. So, Father, water us now. We want to be nourished by your word. We thank you for what you're going to share with us today from your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, we uh, support, we have a church plant that we, have, uh, we are supporting in San Antonio, Texas, and that's with the Hodes, and uh, they are meeting this morning as well. They began services a few weeks ago, and one of uh, their sister churches there in San Antonio is pastored by a fairly well-known individual by the name of Max Lucado. Some of you have read Max Lucado's books. And uh, when I was out there a few weeks ago, Paul drove me by Max. There's Max's church. He's, I guess he's on a first-name basis now with, with old Max. And Max Lucado, in one of his books, uh, I think it was called A Distant Fire or A, a, a Distant Thunder. There we are. A Gentle Thunder. There we are. <laughs> I pretty much got it completely wrong. A Gentle Thunder. Sorry, Max. Here's what he had to say. He said, uh, they didn't have to tell me they were from New York. I could tell. They wore New York City clothes. The teenage son had one half of his head shaved and the other half of his head, his hair hang, hung down past his shoulders. The daughter wore layered clothes and long beads. The mother looked like she'd raided her daughter's closet and the dad's hair was down the back of his neck. Well, I had these people figured out. The boy was probably strung out on drugs. The parents were going through some kind of midlife crisis. They were obviously miserable people in need of spiritual guidance. Good thing I was nearby just in case they needed some counseling. But then I was taken aback when the family introduced themselves. And after talking a while, I realized that I was right. They were from New York City, but that was about all I got right. When I told them my name... They were flabbergasted. I can't believe it, the dad said. We've read all your books. We use them in our Sunday school class at church. We tried to come and hear you speak when you came to New York, but the night you were here was our family night. And while the dad was speaking, I thought to myself, Sunday school, church, family night? Oh boy, did I make a mistake. I made a big mistake. I applied the label before examining the contents. And when you think about it, we all use labels, right? We stick them on jars, we put them on manila folders, so we'll know what's inside. The only problem is, we also stick them on people, do we not? And often for the very same reason. <laughs> you know, we love to say that I don't just practice a religion, or some would even go as far as saying, I don't have a religion, I don't follow a religion. Oh, no, no, I have a relationship, a relationship with God. 
And if that's true, as we've seen a few times now in the book of Matthew, then we also have a relationship with others. John puts it this way in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. And if someone says, I love God and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. And so we love God and we love others and we have relationships with both. But what kind of relationships are those? As we continue today in this series I've entitled His Kingdom Come, we're going to look at that question today and realize that we are called to encourage each other and there are many different kinds of relationships that we are called to do that within. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7. I guess these days, based on a, a, an event I was at, I guess I need to say, if you have your Bibles or your devices, okay, that, that's another way I realize that you aren't checking your email, you're in your Bible, right? When you're using that phone. Yeah, so whatever you have, turn to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week at the end of chapter 6. So we're in verse 1 of chapter 7. I encourage you to take out the note cards that you got at the door. If you didn't get one, put your hand up. Our ushers will get one over to you. And uh, I want to encourage you as well on the back of those cards are a series of questions that we will be using in our life groups this week. Uh, I want to encourage you to use those yourself, whether or not you're a part of a life group. And if you're not part of a life group, why not? Okay. And so those of you that are joining us online uh, or in another room here at the church, welcome. All of the information I've talked about is available on the church app. So make sure you've downloaded that as Charlie reminded us. Now, remember, what we've been seeing so far as we've been going passage by passage, verse by verse, I find, and I hope you agree, that this is the best way to hear from God. Hear it the way he wrote it, the way he gave it to us. I've often said that when, when my, this is kind of like God's love letter to us. And I don't know about you, but when my wife writes me a love letter, I don't piece it out. I don't take out a sentence here and there and just hold those close to my heart. No, I read the, the thing from the beginning to the end because I want to know everything that she has to say to me. We do the same thing with God here on Sunday mornings. And we've been seeing how Jesus has been raising the bar, at least he has in my life, on what it means to be his follower, a disciple of Christ. And as we've seen more often than not, the religious leaders, those people that were the professionals in terms of following God, they tend to be the examples of what not to do. And so he challenges us, Jesus challenges us, he challenges them to not only be righteous, but he says, in order to be righteous, you have to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. When it comes to the scribes and Pharisees, they were the experts, were they not? <clears throat> when it comes to judgment. And particularly, they were experts in judging Jesus himself. You see, Jesus wasn't offering the kind of kingdom that they wanted. 
They wanted personal power. They didn't want the power of God. They wanted to be powerful. He, was, he wasn't asking for the righteousness that they had been demonstrating, this righteousness that said, essentially, look at me. Look at how righteous I am. Look at all the laws and the rules and the, and the ceremonies that I am following. No, he wasn't offering that kind of righteousness. And so what did they do? They rejected him. And today we see Jesus talking about the relationships that are in our worlds. And, and of course, we travel in many different circles, do we not? Family and work and school. And so I, I want to remind you that we have these cards and we often hear at Crosswinds talk about our worlds. Our worlds are those people that God has uniquely placed us within. The people in our families, the people in our school, the people at work, the people in our neighborhood, the people that we meet on a day-to-day -day basis at the store or the gas station or wherever we're at, those are our worlds. When Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, that's the worlds that he meant. I don't know about you, but when, when I read the Great Commission and I thought, go into all the world, it's kind of like what happens when I look at my backyard that needs mowing, and I'm looking at all that mowing, and I think, you know, I'm going to go take a nap. <laughs> and I would hear the Great Commission, and I would say, the whole world... I'm going to take a nap. Okay, I got I to gotta rest up for this job. But that's not what he meant. He meant that we are to go to our worlds. I'm going, I, I am uniquely suited to those people. And so we are praying for them. And this card I'm holding is available between the doors on your way out. Grab one. And on the back, there are instructions. And I hope for us regulars, we're following these instructions. We're praying and we're asking God, who are these people in my world? My family members, my, my fellow workers, whoever they are. And we're writing them down and we begin to pray for them and pray for opportunities to impact them for the kingdom. Some of them might be Christians. Some of them are hopefully not Christians. And so we're, we're praying for those opportunities. And then we're getting ready because as we're even going to see today, when you, we pray and we ask God for something, he's going to answer us. And so we get ourselves ready for that. What did they say once? Uh, if you prayed for rain, did you bring an umbrella with you to work? You know, I mean, do you expect God to answer or are those just words that we throw out? Our relationships with our worlds also, guys, are supposed to exceed those of the scribes and the Pharisees. That's what Jesus is going to get at today. And he's going to describe some of those relationships, or in our vernacular, some of those worlds. The first one is the world of believers. Verse 1 goes this way. We, we know this one, right? Do not judge so that you will not be judged. I, I, this passage begins with what I think could easily be called one of the most used, one of the most used scriptures in all of the world today. In fact, I should say probably one of the most misused scriptures. I, I hear it all the time. I even hear it in King James English. Judge not that ye be not judged, right? We know that one. And why do we know it? Because it seems like as a Christian, Oftentimes when I want to tell somebody this is what God says or this is how you should do this or here's a, a particular way you should live your life, what do you hear? Judge not, lest ye be judged. And maybe you've been stopped in your tracks by that. Well, don't. 
Because someone who would say this doesn't really understand what Jesus is getting at when he says this. Verse 1, guys, is followed by verse 2. Surprise, surprise, right? <laughs> there's, in other words, there's a context. My, my uh, professor used to say, a text without a context is a pretext, okay? That means you can pull out verse 1, and verse 1 says you're never supposed to tell anybody that they're doing anything wrong. Verse 1 says that you're never supposed to criticize somebody. Verse 1 says you're never supposed to encourage somebody to do the right thing. Wait a minute, does that sound right? Does that sound like the way we ought to live our lives? I mean, there should be something within you that said, that just does not ring true to me. It's because that's a text without a context. And we get the context actually just right here in verse 2. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. Verse 2, for in the way you judge. Right there ought to tell you, apparently we're going to judge. <laughs> okay, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Again, when you take it in context, you can almost stop right there. It, it, it makes so much sense. You're going to reap what you have sown. If the judging that you're doing is in order to evaluate or to analyze or to discern, some people like to say, we're not judging, I'm discerning. Okay, you can call it that. And if you're going to do that, expect to be evaluated, expect to be analyzed by the same standard you've used. I, I don't have a problem with that. I, I like to think that when I'm evaluating somebody, when I'm analyzing, when I'm judging, to use the term here, I would like to think I'm doing it in a righteous way by following biblical guidelines. You want to turn that on me? Go for it, okay? Maybe I need it. I have been challenged by many people over the years, and, uh, and, and I needed it. And I'm, I bet a lot of you could say the same thing. If the judging you're doing is, however, with a critical, judgmental attitude, that's what we tend to think when we think judgment. Judgment is kind of like, uh, like discipline, right? Judgment just seems automatically bad. Well, it's not automatically bad. Discipline seems automatically bad. Why? Because in my mind, discipline makes me think of dad telling me, go out and cut a switch, okay? We're going to do some discipline, all right? But, that's not what discipline is, right? Unless you're a really, really bad parent, you know, I just love to wail on my children. No, you, you do wail on your children. Well, you, you discipline your children <laughs> for a good reason, to bring them back, to, to correct them. Anyway, this isn't about discipline. We're on judgment today, all right? And so if you're, <laughs> if you're doing that, then expect... If you're, if, you're, if you're judging, if you are critical, if you, then, then you can expect the same from other people around you. Someone might say, you know what, don't pay attention to what so-and-so says. They never have a good thing to say about anybody. Guess what that means, what that is? That is being judged by the way that you judge. <laughs> Nobody's listening to you. The words suggest that this is a once-for-all final judgment. Not only the actions, but the attitudes and the, moment, the motives. Again, this is the kind of stuff that the religious leaders were doing. And how do I know that this verse isn't saying that I cannot judge? Because Jesus is going to talk about, in a couple of minutes, how to judge correctly. <laughs> how to make righteous judgments. 
And what he's doing here now is he's going to be telling us how to judge, how we are to do it with the right and correct motivations. Essentially, I am saying because I care for you, that's what my judgment should be. Because I care for you, I want you to know that what you're doing is something wrong. We see the, the, a great example of that in Galatians 6. Brothers and sisters, even if a person is caught in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such a person in a spirit of, what's that word? Gentleness. Each, we don't think of gentleness when we think judgment, do we? We think the judge bringing the, can, the, the gavel down. No, we are to be gentle. Each one looking to yourself so that you are not tempted as well. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. So how do I know which one I am doing? Well, as he says here, if I'm willing to participate in the restoration of this person that I, that I am judging, then I am probably uh, not condemning them. I'm going to be a part of bringing you back, of walking with you, of bearing that burden. Jesus now uses uh, a, a bit of hyperbole. If you don't know what hyperbole is, that, that's using an outrageous example to illustrate something. Well, like when he says, uh, you know, uh, rather than uh, go into hell, pluck your eye out or cut off your hand. You know, he says things like that. Okay, so now in verse 3, he says here, why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, that's judging him, and look, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. If you have a, a speck or a, a splinter or a log or a beam, think about that. It's the same material, right? It's a hunk of wood, and that's what I believe Jesus is getting at here. In fact, let me tell you, if you have a speck in your eye, it's kind of a matter of perspective. From your perspective, that speck is going to look like a log, right? <laughs> and it's going to prevent you if you don't remove that first, if you, don't, if you don't deal with your own stuff before dealing with somebody else's stuff, that is going to be an impediment to actually accomplishing anything in their lives. It's also a good example of why the, the, you easily see those things that you struggle with. When I, I can see the specks in other people's eyes when it is the log that I am dealing with. I have personal experience with that thing. You ever found that to be the case? When, when you, you, you confront somebody and you, you know what's going on in their life because that's the same thing that you struggle with. No wonder he calls us hypocrites. It's the very definition of hypocrisy, condemning something that you yourself are doing actively doing. Now, it doesn't have to be a negative thing. It could be something that you struggle with that you've had victory over. And then as Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, I can help you with this. I know particularly, I can, I can empathize with you. I know what it's like to go through that as opposed to just sympathizing. I'm sorry you're having to go through that. And that's part of the, the good that comes out of even bad things. When, when uh, Paul says, all things work together for good. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says, those things that you struggle with, you can then turn and comfort others with the comfort you yourself have received. 
that makes some good out of the bad experience you have had. To use Jesus as an example, if you have a log in your own eye that you're not dealing with, you are not in a position to deal, to help them with their speck until you remove that log, until you deal with it. And how do I do that? Well, I think a great, good way is to follow David's example. On Sunday nights, we pray at a, a prayer meeting we call Before the Throne. And one of the things we do every week before we pray is we ask God to search our hearts and show us if there is anything that might prevent us from hearing him or being heard by him. I like what David says in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. And then, notice, after all of that, then I will teach wrongdoers your way and sinners will be converted to you. There's a point at which you need to deal with your stuff so, so you're not the hypocrite and that you can then turn and work with others. This is what God has shown me. This is how I got through this. In fact, it's probably going to make you a lot more sympathetic than other people who maybe don't deal with that sin or don't have that particular struggle that they have. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they judged, they criticized, and why did they do it? They did it to make themselves look good. There's, there's a couple of ways you can uh, uh, put yourself forward. You can either improve yourself and, and rise up, or you can tear the people around you down and, and get the experience of feeling like you're rising up. That's what the Pharisees did. We are to judge ourselves so that we can help others look good. It's the exact opposite of what the Pharisees did. They judged and criticized others to make themselves look good. We judge ourselves in order to make others look good. And our judges, judging is not to be a harsh condemnation of people's motives. We are to be discerning in what we see. As Jesus says, by their fruit, we will know them. That's in verses 16 and 17. We're coming to that in a couple of weeks. I like the way Pastor James McGinley put it. He says, I am no judge, but I am a fruit inspector. <laughs> okay. We, we look at what people are doing and we make some, some judgments based upon that. Now, since this metaphor would suggest that it's a similar problem because it's a beam, it's a log, it's a, you know, they're, they're off of the same piece of material, this could then be a basis, and it often is, a basis for discipleship, for accountability. Who better to know exactly what you're going through than somebody that is struggling that as well? But be careful, again, be careful not to assume what their motives are. So often we are so quick to determine that that person is just a bad person or this is why they do these things or they hate me and that's why, you know, I, I have found, I, I write this down. One of the best things I learned years and years ago was this little sentence in my relationships with other people because inevitably people are going to let you down. Your wife does it, your children do it, your husband does it, you know, the people close to you, the people not close to you, they are going to say or do something that is going to, in your opinion, let you down. What do you do? Do you storm off? Do you say, that's it? I'm going to separate myself from you, never have anything to do with it? No, that's not what we're called to do. But this little sentence has gotten me so much mileage, and it is this. I approach somebody and I say, could you help me to understand why you said that? Or could you help me to understand why you did that? And that, is such, that, that has been 
such a, a gem for me in terms of my relationships with others. Because quite often, when I would have stormed off because of what they said or did, when I find out why they're, because why am I doing that? I'm assuming their motives. You know, they, they did that to hurt me. They did that because they hate me. They did that because they, they don't love God. You know, but quite often, maybe I still don't agree with their reasons, but at least I know they had a reason. It wasn't, and it's almost always not as bad as I was willing to judge them to be. So can you help me to understand why you did that? Try that in your relationships and just see what happens. And when I behave that way, it creates an, in, an encouraging or, as Scripture says, a burden-bearing relationship with a brother or sister in Christ. But of course, we don't just have relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. As I said, some of those people on your card are going to be believers and Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ. Many of them are probably not going to be believers and, and, and that's appropriate because we are told to be reaching out to people and sharing the gospel. And so they would be considered adversities, uh, adversaries, sorry, adversaries in my world. Verse 6 talks about that. Do not give what is holy to dogs and do not throw your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. In, when Jesus said all of this, when this was written down, dogs were not pets, okay? They were not cute little puppies that we have. Now, maybe some of them were, but for the most part, dogs were bad things. If you ever have a chance to go to, to the reservation, they have a, a animals out there called res dogs. And you don't go up to a res dog and say, oh, little puppy, how are you? you know, because at the very least, the dog might bite you. I mean, they've got, they've got diseases. They've got things riding on them. And, and pigs were not much better. Pigs were considered unclean. And both of them could be considered, well, in fact, were oftentimes dangerous. This is another hyperbole that Jesus is using, another outrageous example. Holy, that he talks about here, don't give what is holy to dogs. That's speaking of the special consecrated food that was set apart for the priests and for their families. Giving this food to scavenger dogs would be unthinkable. It would be like putting pearls on a pig. I love the quote from Robert Heinlein. <laughs> he says this, Never attempt to teach a pig to sing. It wastes your time and annoys the pig. <laughs> well, once again, though, we are put in a position of having to determine whether someone is a dog or a, pin, or a pig. And we're, and, but we're not to do it in order to condemn them. We are to do it in order to know how to approach them. Is this person, for instance, are they open to hearing the gospel? Or do they just want to argue with you? Do they just want to take up your time? Are they, as I often found in college, I went to the University of California and I would get into religious debates and I found out that many of them were militant anti-Christians. And they loved to just sit and talk and debate and everything I said, they had a counter argument. They had it all wrapped up in their minds. Guys, the Lord wants us to be effective in our outreach. The devil wants to get us sidetracked. And let me tell you, from experience, I could easily spend all of my time with people who just want to debate, who just want to argue, while those who actually want to do something, who actually could be influenced by the gospel, are just sort of standing on the sidelines, rolling their eyes. We see often in, in the gospels how Jesus himself was questioned by the religious leaders. 
And there were times he flat out would not answer them. He just remained silent. Why is that? Because, as he says here, they were dogs. They were pigs. And if you give pearls to a pig, what are they going to do with it? It's not something they can eat. So they spit them out. They walk on them, trample them, as it says in my version. And that's what the Pharisees did with the pearls that Jesus gave to them. So Jesus here is saying that we have to judge. We have to discern to determine whether or not those people who are open to the gospel or are they dogs and are they pigs? And when we do that, when we know that, di- that difference, then we can reach them or reach out to them appropriately. I, there, this, this begs for more discussion, and I've, I've written a couple of questions for the life groups and for others on the back to give you some more uh, opportunity to think through this. But in knowing the difference, how do we know the difference? Since I have relationships with Christians and with non-Christians, and maybe some of them are dogs or pigs, how do I deal with the adversaries that are there on my card? The answer is my relationship with God, and that's where he goes next. Do you want to know whether that person is going to be open to your message or is going to trample it? And tear you to pieces? Look at verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, received. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Now, these are verses that we use in a lot of situations, right? We, we use them to teach people the value of persistent prayer to God. Keep praying. Keep going at it. But guys, this is the immediate context. Remember, a, a text without a, without a context is a pretext. This is the immediate context. The immediate context for asking God is for discernment, is for judgment as to whether or not someone is ready to hear the gospel. Because I don't want to waste The precious time that I have, that's all we get in this life, guys, is time. And the the money that you have is what you traded a certain amount of your time for to to achieve. And so I don't want to waste it with someone who is not interested, but I also don't want to assume, as we often do, that that person wouldn't be interested in the gospel. And so how do I tell the difference? Ask God. That's what he's saying here. And not just once. Keep asking God. Keep knocking. Keep seeking. Or as Paul told the Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. You know what that means? Anybody have a guess? Pray without ceasing. (laughs) Okay? It means to be in a constant uh, attitude of prayer, in a constant conversation with God, having a relationship with Him as you go through life. And it's amazing the things he He will enlighten you with. I manage the Brotherhood Fund, and that there have been times when people have come in and they lie and they cheat and they steal. And oftentimes, I, how do I know the difference as to whether or not uh, I should continue to be giving our resources to them? I pray about it. In Acts chapter 5, we have an example of the church getting together and encouraging everyone and giving and, and doing all kinds of stuff. And then there's this couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira, and they, they decided they were going to pretend to be giving like everyone else, but they really weren't going to give. They, they pretended that they sold some property and gave the full amount, and yet they didn't give the full amount, and they died over it, okay? It was a pretty serious offense there at the be- very beginning of the church. How did they know? How did 
how did Peter know to confront them about this? Obviously, he had prayed, and the Lord had told him that. And what's gonna, God going to do when you come to him to pr- in prayer? Asking for wisdom to know the difference? James 1 tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. God promises that when we come and we ask for wisdom, for insight, how should I deal with these people? Now, I know some people might say, well, I'm not really sure if that works. The question is, have you tried it? (laughs) I'm sure all the things that I don't do, I'm sure at times that maybe they don't work, (laughs) okay? It's just if I am consistently going to the Lord, let me just tell you, it does work because he says it will. He says he will. Jesus gives another illustration of surprise, surprise, another hyperbole. Verse 9, or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he, he will not give him a snake, will he? So if you, despite being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask of him? This is called an argument from the lesser to the greater, okay? An argument talking about a father, which by the way is the lesser, to God, who is the greater. I am a father. I'm the lesser. And when my son asks me for bread, I'm going to give him bread. (laughs) I'm not going to give him a stone. And if he asks for a fish, he'll get a fish, not a snake. In fact, when my son asks for something, I am anxious. I want to give him what he asks for. And I'm not God, in case you didn't notice, okay? And yet I want to do good things for my children. And this is what Jesus is saying. How much more then, if your your earthly father wants to do good things for you, how much more does God want to do good things for us and fulfill our requests? Now you might say, oh, well, Willie, I got you here. I've asked God for things and he hasn't given them to me. So there. Well, I'm sure you could talk to my son. And if you were to ask him if he received everything that he's ever asked me for, he would say the very same thing. Doesn't mean I don't love him. It means I do love him. And some of those things were not good for him. And sometimes I knew what was best. There is any number of reasons, but it wasn't a lack of love in any case. And that is so much more true with God. When we pray, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, in Jesus' name, I, what am I doing? I am submitting to what Jesus wants for me. And, and just as Jesus submitted to what God wanted for him, again, Gethsemane, Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. And he prayed that, but more than that, he wanted to do God's will. And that's where he wants us. And when Jesus says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, it's not that God here is playing hard to get. (laughs) I, I just want you coming after me all the time. No, it's that he wants a continuing relationship with us. He wants us to continue to talk to him and to come to him. And that is definitely a relationship that builds us up. It impacts our our other relationships with those who are believers. It impacts our relationships with our adversaries. And Jesus now sums it all up. And in doing so, he gives me a rule of thumb for everyone in his world. And this is going to sound familiar. Verse 12 In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you, for this is the law 
and the prophets. This is, uh, this is the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I've heard people say, I base my life, you know, forget the Bible, forget all that theology and stuff. I base my life on the golden rule. Well, I don't know that that's a great idea, guys. I mean, base, I heard a pastor once say, basing your life and theology on the golden rule is like basing your astronomy on twinkle, twinkle, little star, okay? It's a good rule, but it's not complete. In fact, as Jesus says, it is the law and the prophets, so Keeping it would cause us to, uh, to keep God's commands. But, and, and as we live by the golden rule, we're going to live a godly life. But those, those actions, the law and the prophets, they're not going to save us. Only Jesus Christ can do that. The most important word here is therefore. And it ties everything that Jesus has said to our prayer life with God. It's only as I knock and I seek and I ask that I am then able to live by the golden rule, not the other way around. In other words, and in general, you can apply the golden rule to all your relationships, but realize this, guys, doing that is going to cost you because those who oppose God are going to oppose you as well. We saw weeks ago how we are to be salt and light in this world. And doing that, guys, has risks because salt can sting and light exposes things that people would rather not have exposed. And those who are resisting God, well, they're going to resist you as well. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. As long as you're doing righteous things, I should say. <laughs> that would be the context here. Oh, the world hates me. I keep slapping them in the face. I don't know. No. no, if you're doing what Jesus has called you to do, realize it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world... In other words, if you act like them, if you had their values, if you agreed with everything they said, the world would love you as its own. You notice that? We, we particularly deal with that today, don't we? I have to not just believe the right things. I have to say the right things. And I'm sorry, there's some things I just cannot say uh, in order to make you feel good. Well, the world is going to hate me for that. Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Just make sure they hate you for the right reasons. When you meet somebody new, guys, how are you going to treat him? Well, you don't know because you're not to judge. But if he's a dog or a pig, well, you better know. So what do you do? You pray. Surprisingly, that's exactly what we instruct you to do. <laughs> Be praying. And God will give you the words to say, he'll give you opportunities to reach them in just the way they need to be reached. And then what do you do? You apply the golden rule in that relationship and realize that God has called you in particular to your world, to those people who you can relate to, who can relate to you. Everyone in your world, believers, adversaries, everyone. The old saying goes, don't judge a book by its cover. And it's true. Don't look at that person who ends up next to you and say, that person is way too different from me. I could not invite him to my church. I can't have my friends see me bringing this guy in. We need to see others as Christ sees them, with a holy compassion for the lost. You know what? We all need God, no matter what the person looks like or 
how different they are from you. As Christians, we are responsible to reach out to those around us. Their eternity depends on it. We need to stop worrying about the opinions of others. We need to open our eyes. New opportunities are put in front of us every single day to come out of our comfort zone, open our mouths, and speak these simple words. Hey man, if you're not doing anything this weekend, uh, check this out, we're doing something cool at our church. So. Did I get you? <laughs> yeah, I can always tell who's seen this before. Whoa! Is it, I almost don't need to say anything else, right? I have, are you convicted enough now? <laughs> you had that whole thing figured out. Let me give you some takeaways and then we'll be done. Number one, how do I encourage fellow believers? Well, some of the things you've been seeing here today. The way the whole service began, that is an encouragement. I don't know about you, but when I come to church, there are some Sundays I come to church and I'm thinking... I got so many issues in my life, I, but I don't want to bring other people down, you know, so I'll just keep them to myself. Was that not an encouragement to have real conversations, to have real uh, ex- understanding that we're all in this together, we're all struggling in this together? My, one of my pastors used to say that uh, Christianity is just one beggar showing another beggar where he can find some bread, okay? That's who we are, all right? So that's how we encourage them. And at times, maybe that would even, as Jesus has outlined it here this week, maybe that would, be encourage, maybe that would mean that you judge them. You go up and, you know, we, 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 uh, we question that one. But there are times when I need to go to a brother in Christ and say, brother, I, I think that you might be struggling in this area. Am I right? And if I've developed that relationship with them, we can go somewhere with that. I dare, I, I dare not keep my mouth shut if God is prompting me to make some of those statements. Secondly, do I believe, do I believe that God will give me good things? Do I believe that? It's important to take God at his word. When he says, if you ask for wisdom, you will receive it. And in fact, he, finished, he, he follows that up right away, James does, by saying, but he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So when I pray, when I talk to the Lord, I need to believe. And maybe that's where you need to start. I love the father in the book of Mark where uh, he comes to Jesus for healing for his son. And Jesus says uh, to him, do you believe that I can heal your son? And what does the father say? He knows the right answer. Oh, yes, I believe. And what does he immediately follow it up with? Help me in my unbelief. Amen. (laughs) And I'm the same way, you know. I'm a professional Christian, right? I've been trained and and I read the Bible all the time. I know the right answers, but how many times do I have to say, Lord, I believe, help me in my unbelief. That's the Holy Spirit right there convicting you on the spot, and you want that. And finally, number three, how do I want others to treat me? And I would encourage you, spend some time on that question. How do I want others to treat me? That's the essence of the golden rule. As I am treated, I want others, as I want to be treated, I want others to, tr- to treat me. 
And so how do I want to be treated? How, that, that's what I was trying to say. I should be treating others the way I want to be treated. Put some thought to that. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Thank you, Father, again, for the fact that we are, this is a place where the masks come off and where Jesus says the hard things, but even more than that, Lord, we actually live out the hard stuff. So, Father, work in us this week. May we be those people, as Paul told the Galatians, those who bear one another's burdens, and in doing that, we fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love. May our love be genuine. May we see uh, those, those, those specks in people's eyes unencumbered by the logs in our eyes. May we reach out to them, help them, do what you've called us to do, Lord. May your word to us today become the word that people see in us throughout this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.